fired up today. Well, it's great to see all of you. Happy Father's Day to all the men and everybody that's here visiting. My name's David Bendett. I'm the senior pastor here at Rock City Church. This is my awesome, beautiful, and amazing wife that I could do nothing without. There she is. She's a woman of a few words, a few words. No, a lot of words at home. That's what I'll tell you for sure. No. All right. Now, for those of you that are visiting and don't know, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I am fully immersed in children land, fully immersed. <clears throat> now, I got a little late start. I'm 46 years old, right, with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Almost all my high school friends all have 20 and 30-something-year-old kids at this point. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love it so much, obviously. But my greatest desire as a father is to show my children how much love the Father from heaven has shown me. I wanna show my children how great and how awesome our God is because of what he's done for me. And I want my children to live a life full of his passion, full of his joy, and full of his purpose for them. That's my greatest desire. But in order to do this, I have to lead with long-term vision. I have to have long-term trajectory inside of me. I have to constantly be thinking that God cares about the generations and that my children will have children and their children, and I need to think two, three, four, five generations down the line. Now, I'm 46, so I got a little late start in life when it comes to having children, so I'm a little bit more focused on the future. In my 20s, I didn't think at all really about my future. I didn't think much about consequences and long-term trajectory. But if I can help young adults and all of us to start thinking with long-term trajectory, it will enable us to live our lives differently now. And that's what I really want. I want us to put our life into perspective because God is constantly doing that in his word. So let's talk a little bit about that. We have to have purpose, intent, and direction, and we have to lead by example. The best way that I can lead my kids and lead your children and the generations behind us is to lead by example. It's a focus on the future generations and that's front and center on the Father's heart. What are some ways that we can live by example? I think that the first way that I can live by example for you and for my children and for your children and the generations to come is the way that I love and the way that I show love. There's a lot of different types of love out there. There's Eros love, which is sexual love. There's uh, Storge love, which is family love. There's Phileo love, which is brotherly love but then there's agape love. And agape love is the highest form of love that comes from the Father. And when you have God's agape love inside of you, the way that you love other people is just like he does. It's unconditional love. It doesn't mean I don't set boundaries. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences for my children's choices. It doesn't mean that I don't discipline them. But what it does mean is that I'm loving them with purity, nurturing, authenticity, care, and I'm loving them regardless of what they choose to do or not to do, even if I have to show tough love. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And so the way that we love and demonstrate that love is critical. Children must be nourished and encouraged, cared for, and they need to see excited passion in all of our lives. They need to know that it's not religious dysfunction, boring spirituality, but rather vibrant vitality, full of passion, excitement, and fun. Our kids need fun. I'm just telling you right now, right? And I'm gonna tell you, if this isn't fun, I don't wanna do it. 
It's hard work at times. I get it. it. It hurts when people are hurting. I get that. I feel your burdens. I feel your pains. But I enjoy it because I was created to do it. I tell people all the time that I, it's like living in full-time vacation for me. I feel like I'm on full-time vacation. And I felt that way even before I had a church because I was doing what God told me to do. And whenever you're doing what the Lord tells you to do, I promise you it'll feel like being on full-time vacation. It'll be hard. It'll be tough at times, but you know that the Lord told you to do it, so he gives you strength to make it through it. And so our personal life and the intimate reflection of our walk with Christ has to be so visible and so beautiful to our kids. Now, we'll make some mistakes, but God in his kindness sees us through that. And so every day behind closed doors, our wife, our kids, and our family gets to see what a beautiful, intimate, personal life with Christ should look like. Not a dysfunctional, boring life, but a vibrant, passionate life that you can only get by spending time with the Lord personally. And then we want to demonstrate what a passionate, healthy pursuit of Christ should look like. I don't compartmentalize God in our days. Now, we do pray before we go to bed, but in general, we're talking about the Lord, we're talking about God's Word, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, not in a weird Christianese way all day long, but in a normal way that brings God into our everyday life, into our home. We want to show our children that the Holy Spirit wants to have an active role and involvement in our everyday life. It can't just be Sunday, Wednesday night, or here and there. God wants to live a vibrant life that our children get to witness every day of our lives, and that's bringing the Holy Spirit into your life. Learning to hear God's voice and speaking on his behalf. God wants you to hear his voice. And when you're hearing God's voice, you're constantly speaking prophetically and speaking life in everything that you do. I call it being bridled. There are times that my wife and I disagree on things and sparks will fly. And I'm not talking fists and cussing. I'm just saying we have disagreements at times. There will be conflict in marriage, right? There will be conflict. But we teach our children how to overcome that conflict. And we're always bridled by the Lord and we're always demonstrating what beautiful intimacy should look like. Even if we make mistakes, God's forgiveness and mercy is always active in our life. We have to know how to maintain a balance between choices, boundaries, consequences, being spiritual and being fun. Kids don't want to be raised in some overbearing, super religious Christianese home. Some of us grew up in that home. And it's like we were so sheltered and so shielded from the world and everything. And the way that our parents taught us about God was controlling and suppressing. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. Like, for example, we ask our kids, I ask my kids in the morning when they get up, what did you dream last night? For those of you that don't know, I love dreams. I believe that God speaks to us through dreams. The Bible teaches us that. A third of the Bible came through dreams and visions. My middle name's Joseph, which means dreamer, and Joseph in the Bible was a dreamer. Daniel was a dream interpreter. Joseph interpreted dreams. So many dreams are in the New Testament, especially surrounding the birth of Christ. So I asked my kids, and Zion was like, there was a monster in my room. He's two. Okay, so he's certainly picked up something about monsters watching Nickelodeon or Disney Channel, okay? And so he's like, there was a monster in my room. I said, well, what'd you do? I just pulled the cover. He says, I pulled the covers over. I said, well, next time, just cut its head off with the sword. Jesus is more powerful. Now, I'm teaching my children the power of Christ versus the power of fear and darkness, Okay? And I so, and my daughter's four and she's watching. I'm like, I'm like, next time just stand up and say in the name of Jesus, just take your spiritual sword and lop its head off. Yeah. 
Now, I know that sounds pretty intense, but hey, he's a boy. He's going to be watching the movies all the time, right? And so, you know, every now and then, even watching some of the most basic children's cartoons, it's almost like you can't even have a children's cartoon without magic, wizards, and sorcery anymore, okay? So I can't shield my kids from all of that. And in fact, as they get older, we're watching superhero movies, Wonder Woman, which I thought was awesome, by the way. I mean, I walked out ready to kick some devil butt. I mean, that movie got me fired up, okay? So the thing is, is we're not being weird, dysfunctional with our kids, okay? You can't shield them from everything. There's only so much that they can handle at this age. But what you can do is have real conversations, bring the Holy Spirit into everyday life, and show them what normal should look like as a Christian, and prepare them for what lies ahead. That's the best that you can do. And train them in the way that they should go according to the Father's plans and purposes, okay? And so uh, something came up about a witch, you know, a lot of these, even Peppa Pig, some of these simple shows can have witches and things like that. I'm gonna be all freaked out about it and never watch a show, okay? Because a lot of them are actually pretty good. And so something came up about the witches and the magic wand and abracadabra and stuff like that. And I said, you know, Cadence, we don't hate witches, In fact, we love them. It's the sorcery and the magic wizardry that God doesn't like because it pulls people away. Now, she's four, so she's not fully understanding, but I'm gonna have that conversation with her. And I tell her, do you know that Jesus is so much more powerful that you don't even have to mess with magic because the Holy Spirit and the power of God is way more powerful than that. And you actually have authority over darkness and demonic things so that you don't have to look to those things for answers. Now, she's probably not fully getting it at four, but you better believe I'm gonna start teaching her right now and I'm gonna do it in a normal, natural way that says, look, Jesus is awesome because he's in our everyday life, okay? You guys can do that. You guys can do it. And so we have a lot of fun. I mean, we are like fun central. We make our house fun. I sing to my kids at night. I sing to them in the morning. I make up silly songs. I play crazy songs. You know, we do all kinds of fun stuff. We have kids worship that we crank up in the car. There's so much kids worship out there now. We crank it up, we jam, we turn up the music, we get in the pool and I throw them 10 feet in the air and we go to the park. You don't have to have money to do fun things with your kids. But the point is, is they're always gonna remember those experiences when you're making the spiritual life fun. And I get it that some of us have to work a lot of hours, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. But pray and ask God to set you free from that and that you won't have to do it long-term just to provide for a living for your kids. Because what good is it when you're 40, 50, 60 years old and you look back and you're like, wow, all I did was work and I provided a good home for them, but I had no experience and didn't have the time to spend with them, okay? Now, I know sometimes you have to do that. I've had to do that. What I'm telling you is, is God wants you to be with your kids and be actively present in your kid's life, right? And so we're like wild, but I'm also disciplining them when they make poor choices. My, do- uh, my son, you know, he's two. He doesn't know how to express his emotions very well. So he cries every time he doesn't get his way. I mean, the silliest things. We all know that he's two years old. But then what he's learned to do is now when he doesn't know how to express his emotions, he lashes out. So he'll hit or he'll scratch or he'll do whatever. And so, yes, the other day, he just reached right out. His nails were a little long. My wife cut his nails yesterday. 
reached right out and just got Cadence right by the face, cut her above the eye and cut her lip and she started bleeding. And Cadence, I mean, oh my gosh, she was screaming her head off. And you know, we're potty training Zion so he didn't have any underwear on. I picked him up, swatted him on the rear and it was a solid spanking. Now I didn't leave a mark. I did, you know, don't freak out on me. But the point is, is it was just enough to let him know that I was firm. And I was like, you do not hit your sister like that or scratch her. You're in trouble. I put him in timeout. He bawled his eyes out. She bawled her eyes out, waited a few minutes. Then he was ready to say sorry. They said they're sorry. She forgave him. They hugged, they made up. And on the day we went, all right? The point I'm trying to tell you is, is that the way that we love, the way that we care, the way that we discipline, the way that we teach, and the fun and the spirituality in our life is all very important. You can do this the right way. Even if you were raised in a dysfunctional home with a dysfunctional dad, or if you didn't have a dad, or your parents did all, everything wrong, no matter what, it can stop right now with you, with the blood of Jesus. You can't change the past, but you can change the future, amen? Yeah. All right. Now, just bear with me for a little bit because I'm setting the stage on a few things for you. We have to ensure that our marriages are healthy. There's such an attack on marriage today. Divorce rates are through the roof. The, the, the opportunity for offense and defensiveness, we deal with it all the time in our marriage. We're not perfect. We're complete opposites. It takes a lot of work. And we have to demonstrate to our children how to have good communication, how to deal with conflict and resolve conflict, and how to have intimacy. So we don't shield our kids from every argument. It's inevitable. You can't wait till every night at 11 o'clock to have a conversation when you can't even have, keep your eyes open, right? But what you can do is learn to talk it through, not be afraid to have some of that revealed, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, show our kids what it means to forgive and make up and love well and resolve the conflict. And then show them what good intimacy looks like like this. A lot of times our kids will be watching us say, Amber, come over here. And the kids go, 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 go. But I give her, you, we've got to teach our kids what healthy intimacy looks like. And I'm not talking like intimate intimate. I'm talking like just some kisses, all right? And uh, <clears throat> now, first of all, understand, I have read all the books. I've pastored for a long time. I just now have a two and four-year-old. So I'm learning in the process too. But what I know is I want my kids to see that I love my wife and that we love each other because that's a picture of Jesus and his church, okay? In your marriage, you, God has to be first and then the husband and wife and then the kids. Because if you're all about your kids, but your marriage is dysfunctional, the kids are gonna see that and ultimately walk that out in their own lives. They need to see a united front with parents. And then the last thing is to have insight and foresight to see the present, which leads to the future. Okay, let's say this together. Say insight, insight. and foresight. So insight is I now have a revelation and understanding about my life so I can see the future. I get foresight for tomorrow and the future. We have to live every day with the mindset that Jesus could come back at any moment. And we need to be prepared and ready. The Bible teaches us that in an hour we least expect it, he's gonna come back. The Bible teaches in Matthew 25 at the midnight hour, the bridegroom's cry came while the, while the virgins or God's body was sleeping and slumbering. And the point is, is that at any moment, at any time, Jesus could come back. Whatever you believe, I understand. Some of you are like, it could be 10 generations from now. 
It may, we may see it in this lifetime. We're in the, there's all kinds of different belief systems in a church of hundreds and hundreds of people. But the point is, is that we live our lives as if Jesus could come back tonight. Think about this. The Bible says that Jesus is the head and we're the body. So when the midnight cry comes or when, Jesus, when you hear that trumpet sound and Jesus comes back, you're gonna know it's Jesus. Why? If you're born again, you're the body and he's the head. And what we need to do is be prepared and ready at all times so when it comes, we're not caught off guard. And we do that by staying spiritually dialed in and spiritually in tune. He could come tonight. And if he comes tonight, when that cry comes, I'm gonna go, yeah, yeah. woo, here we it's showtime, okay? But honestly, I think it's gonna be multiple generations from now. I'm ready if he comes tonight, but I got an awesome life to live with my kids and I wanna see some grandchildren. I wanna see some kids' kids. I want my kids to experience scuba diving and spearfishing and, and shooting an elk or whatever they wanna do, I don't care. I want them to go travel the world and experience the greatness I'm not living in this push the button mentality now. I understand there's a lot of darkness out there, but you know what? There's a lot of greatness out there. And I want my kids to grow up not apathetic and afraid, but full of life and excitement and joy, okay? And so we have to have a long-term trajectory in the way that we think because God is a long-term visionary. Let's say that together. Say God is a long-term visionary. Right, so let's take a look at this scripture, Psalm 103, verse 15 through 17. This scripture really puts things into perspective for our life, okay? Now, as a pastor, sadly, one of my job descriptions is officiating memorial services or funerals. And I've done memorial services for too many teenagers, let me just tell you. I've officiated memorial services for five teenagers. It's a tragedy. I've officiated a memorial service for our own stillborn daughter that was born at 32 weeks. I really understand the fact that life can be short and the Bible puts it into incredible perspective. And so how I live today is very important to me because I know it affects the future. And even though I believe I'm gonna live a long life and it's not my time, if it were to happen, I have things in place and I'm ready for it if that were to happen. I don't believe it's gonna happen because you know I get on a plane a lot. When I get on a plane, you never know what's gonna happen on a plane, right? The lady next to me last week, I went to Tulsa and she was so freaked out that as soon as the plane took off, her arms were failing, she whacked me five or six times. I mean, this girl was like tormented. And that's happened to me. I always get sat next to like tormented passengers, okay? Seriously, I've prayed with more passengers that are afraid of flying. This lady's whacking, I mean, she, the, the plane's bumping. And I finally just grabbed her by the arm. I said, listen, I'm a pastor. It's not my time to go. God's got a great plan. It's not your time to go either. Now, where, I said, now, where are you from? Do you have any? And I started engaging in conversation, which took her mind off the flight. And then suddenly the plane leveled out. She's like, you don't know how much that meant to me. <clears throat> so as for man, his days are like grass as a flower of the field. So he flourishes. Verse 16. The wind passes over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. Verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. You know what everlasting to everlasting is? It's to infinity and beyond. I was excited to say that, but 
It really is. Everlasting to everlasting is to infinity and beyond. There's no end to what? To the mercy of the Lord. God's love and his mercy endures how long? To the children's children, on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Verse 18. To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. We have to do them. We have to remember his commandments. Verse, that's verse 18. Computer's probably moving slow. And so we see that the Lord is merciful. We see that his mercy goes to multiple generations, generational lines. But there are requirements for all of us. And those requirements are, one, we need to understand that life can be short and have a long-term vision. Even if you live a long, good life, 80, 90, 100 years, that's still short in the grand scheme of things. I'm 46. In my mind, I'm living every day with the understanding I got another 40 to 50. I can believe for 96 or 100 so in, or even more. But my, and I don't want to live the last 10, 15 years of my life sick. So today, the way that I eat, the way that I take care of myself, the way that I exercise, the way that I think, the way that I love the Lord, the choices that I make, choosing to not make, do, deliberately sin and not do things to myself that are gonna kill me prematurely are important to me. Why? I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Life's not about me anymore. And I, all your children too. You know, this shopping center, we own this shopping we have this church. Can you imagine if my mindset was, man, I, we, I'm gonna give this all I've got for 10 more years. And then in 10 years, we're selling the shopping center and it was fun. No, we've gotta hand this off to the next generation. We've got to be building something, a legacy that can be handed down from generation to generation so that they can carry the baton forward. So we have to have a long-term vision and understand that all of our days are numbered. We have to fear him. Now, what does it mean to fear God? Fear God is not a terroristic fear. Now, those that are God's enemies and hate him might have a terroristic fear towards God. But for sons and daughters and those that have given their life to the Lord, the fear that God wants us to have is a reverent awe and an understanding that God could wipe me out if he wanted to, but in his mercy and his kindness and his love, he chooses not to. And that I understand I don't break God's laws, they break me. He's already set things into motion that if I choose to do things that are contrary to his will, I will be broken. And it's, it's in a sense it's his doing, but not really his doing, right? It's the choice that we make that brings consequences. Sin will kill you. And so when you do things contrary to what God has already said, then in turn, you're defying his laws and you'll find yourself broken, busted, disgusted, and sick, okay? And so the point is, is that God wants us to have a reverent, healthy fear of him all the days of our lives. He wants us to understand and keep covenant and he wants us to remember and do his commandments. Covenant, so important. We talk a lot about that here. God made a commitment to you because he loves you. And if we'll stay in covenant relationship with him, the blessings and the rewards that come are supernatural. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. This is a powerful scripture. A good man or a sinner the result ultimately is God's children are gonna be blessed. Anybody that comes to the Lord, whether you're 
parents were good or whether they were bad, it doesn't matter. Because when you come to the Lord, it says, look, the good man leaves an inheritance to his children, but the wealth of the sinner is going to be stored up for the righteous. God wants us to leave an inheritance to who? The generations, children's children's, your grandchildren. He wants us to think multiple generational lines down the line. Now, what is an inheritance? An inheritance is more than wealth and money, though those are honorable and noble. But your kids may not want your house. Seriously, they may not want your diamonds and your rings and your gold, and they could pawn it all off or sell it all off for something that they want. I can't expect my kids to want my house. They may want to sell our house if I leave it to them and go buy something that they want. Those are nice and those are noble, are, are noble, but what's the kind of inheritance that God really wants us to leave? Now, look, we just set up, and Nathan reminded me, it's an indexed something, something insurance policy. I have million-dollar policies on my wife and I so that, God forbid, if something happened, my wife would be totally set and take, taken care of. Everybody here should have life insurance. God forbid something happens to you. I've done more funerals. You don't, we just had to do a memorial service because the family had no money and they could only afford $150 to use our church. And I said, yes. Because every other place in town is four, five, six, eight hundred. A, a, a memorial plot of land is eight to, is twelve to $15,000 to have a funeral today. And the thing is, is you've got to be thinking not just about yourself, but about your future and the people that are coming up behind you. You've got to. And so I'm leaving an inheritance behind. We've already started saving money for our kids' education. And if they decide not to go to college because I'm not going to make them or push them, I want them to get an education. But I understand that even most of our education system in America is so liberal and godless. I want my kids to be Holy Spirit-led. I want them to go, if they say, hey, I want to go to Heart of David Rick Pino school for a year, rock it. Here's 10 grand, go. We saved up this money so that we could invest in your future and you get to make some of those choices when you turn in, you know, 21 or 22. They're two and four. So if I start planning for them now, like my dad did for me 30, 40 years ago and set me up for success, now our kids will have a good inheritance and it'll be passed down the family line. We simply cannot live our lives solely focused on ourselves anymore. And here's what I want you to know. Whether you've already raised children or whether you're a young adult with no children or whether you've not been able to have children or you have little children like me, here's what I want you to know. There are thousands of kids and generations coming up behind you that will look to you. If you choose to stay together in this family with me, there are so many millennials and young adults here that are gonna be having kids in the four, first four years of starting this church, there's babies everywhere. I mean, go look in the nursery. There'll be like 30 babies there just today. We're running 100 kids on a Sunday morning. And this church is gonna keep growing to 1,000, 2,000 people. Who are these kids gonna look up to? Every leader's job title here is mother and father. That's the pattern of the kingdom. Let's get out of the dysfunctional titles. Yes, we need them. We understand pastors and leaders and deacons and team leaders and directors. I mean, I get all that. But the real job title is mother and father because God wants spiritual parents. The father's looking for a family. Let's say that. The father is looking for a family. That's what we need is community and family. And I need you. I know I can't be in relationship personally with every one of you. My capacity with the two and a four-year-old and managing coffee shops is only so wide. 
But you know what we can do? Raise up sons and daughters and leaders and parents that can do it and reproduce ourselves. Amen? And so, it's much more than wealth and money. It's a, it's, this is what I wrote down. What really matters is spiritual legacy, strength of character and honor, and the legacy of promise that never fades to all subsequent generations to follow. Think legacy for a minute. Think about legacy. You know what the word legacy means? Legacy means something that you're gonna leave behind for the generations to come. And the, the sad thing is, is it could be a dysfunctional legacy. But the good thing is, is you can leave a great legacy. And that's my point. Some of us were raised in absent father homes. Some of us were raised in abusive father homes. I deal with it all the time. Most of the time when I'm praying for people or people are coming to Rock City Church for healing or they're hurting or they're broken or five marriages or addicted to drugs or alcohol, more often than not, not every time, but more often than not, nine out of 10 times their parents were that way. So what we have to do is through the blood of Jesus, stop the generational curse and then start a generational blessing. How awesome would it be? This is what I believe. If we can, if we can build a church that's a family and a community that our kids come up and go, I didn't experience any dysfunction. Pastor never stole the money. The youth pastor didn't run off with the so-and-so's wife. I didn't get hurt. I didn't get abused. I didn't get spiritually manipulated. In fact, I grew up in a family and a culture of love and life and health and vitality. Can we do that? Can we try to do that? And so legacy, that's what we're leaving down. Everybody's gonna leave a legacy or inheritance some way or another. Everybody is affecting the world around them one way or another. But it's righteous legacy that endures and stands the test of time. And we can break off the dysfunction from our past because of the blood of Jesus. For example, my dad, my blood father, is a multimillionaire in Beverly Hills, California, right now. He left my mother and I when I was one. You can look up my name online and you'll find my dad. Manages some very big name bands. Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, Victor Wooten. I'm talking best bass player in the world. This guy's, my dad has won multiple, multiple Grammys. But he left my mom and I when I was one. I met him when I was 28. He was nice, he was cordial. But since that time, I've had no relationship with him. I've sent him pictures of his grandkids. I've called him, I've reached out, I've sent emails. But he just doesn't wanna have a relationship with me. And that's okay. You know why? Because my inheritance and my legacy comes from my heavenly father. And I have full forgiveness and love, and I'm still gonna reach out. I'm still gonna send emails. I'm still gonna call him. I'm still gonna send pictures. I'm not gonna walk in unforgiveness because God could turn his heart and in his last days, God could restore me together with him. But here's what I know. Even though he didn't really leave a legacy for me in the natural, something is on his life in the spiritual. And I said to the Lord, God, the promises that you put on my dad's life, I want. And even if they're dysfunctional, here's what I want you to know. Every child, every single child is a blessing from God. Everyone, even if a child was born out of wedlock, no matter what the situation is, if a child is birthed into this world, Psalm 127 says, children are a heritage from the Lord. And that's what I believe. I believe that. And so even if my dad isn't there for me, my blood father, even if he's not doing things for me, there's something on his life that I'm gonna take a hold of and I'm not gonna walk in unforgiveness and bitterness towards him. Amen? Amen. You guys doing all right? All right, so just a few more minutes and then we're gonna pray for you.
first of all, it's Father's Day, so this is my one day of the year I get to get it all out. We're talking about generations, and we're talking about dads being healthy and thinking long-term for your kids. Exodus 34, five through seven. In Exodus 34, what we're reading right here is Moses has already got so mad, smashed the first set of tablets, the, the Ten Commandments, and God gives him a new set of tablets. But this time the Lord descends in a cloud and stands with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the Lord is proclaiming the name of the Lord. This is what God says about himself. One of the things that I say here a lot at Rock City Church is, do you really believe that God's who he says he is? And of course we say yes. The challenge is, is most people don't really know who he says he is because only 17% of Christians read their Bible. All right, so the Lord comes down, verse six, and the Lord passes before him and he proclaims. So this is what the Lord is proclaiming about himself. He says, the Lord, Lord God, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for how many? Thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Let's pause there for a second. So God is merciful, long-suffering, gracious. He's abounding in goodness and truth, and he's forgiving. That's who the Lord is. Make sure you always remember that's who the Lord is. Don't get sidetracked with lies and religious lies about God and about Christians. And don't hold it against God when you see people in the name of God doing things that are dysfunctional. That's the problem with getting so much news from Facebook. That's the problem with CNN, Fox News, and even the world system, right? So I just saw an article where a parenting association came out and said that if a parent says that they're hearing the voice of God, they're crazy and it can lead to abuse. And they're basically saying, if you're hearing God's voice, then you are not stable. Here's why. You know how many people have done things in the name of God that are abusive and destructive to kids in God's name? But what, am I, what are we gonna do? We're not gonna shrink back and be apathetic. Instead, I'm gonna break that cycle by doing it the right way with healthy doctrine, healthy life, and the Holy Spirit active and present in a beautiful way. That's what we're gonna do, right? And so the Lord goes on to say, he doesn't clear, he by no means clears the guilty, but he, vis he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Well, the question would be, what makes you guilty? And how do you get vindicated? That's the real question. You're guilty when you say, I'm gonna reject the Lord, I'm gonna re reject his ways, and I don't want anything to do with him, and I'm gonna choose to live life my own way. You'll be guilty. But you get vindicated of your past, and you get strength for the future when you get born again, and you let the blood of Jesus wash you and cleanse you, and now you get to take a hold of the promises, not remain guilty anymore. Now that I've given my life to Jesus, I've made mistakes. In fact, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but the Lord has always said there's no condemnation. You're not guilty. Come back to my blood, come back to my life, come back to my purpose, accept my forgiveness. Now let's move forward and make right decisions. That's how the Lord works. It's a beautiful process, okay? So he wants to vindicate, not keep you guilty. And finally, there's a pattern of reproduction in all of our lives. How do we live our life? How we live our life has a direct influence on what's being passed down to the generations. Think about generations. The root word of generations is generate. It means to reproduce. It means to procreate. It means to pass on 
and make something come out of your life down the line. So the Holy Spirit regenerates you. He, he brings life to you so that you can bring life to the generations behind you. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six through 11. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, to put it into context, the Lord is talking to Israel. But when you give your life to Jesus, you now get grafted into the olive branch. You become a seed of Abraham and every promise that was given to the Israelites, you get grafted in to grab a hold of as well, all right? So even though the Lord's talking to his own, to the Israel nation, then it still applies to you to this day. It says, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord, what? Because he what? Why did the Lord choose to put his, his kindness and his grace and his power upon his people and deliver them? Because he loves us. And because God would keep his oath. You know what an oath is? An oath is a promise that's meant to be kept. So God would keep his oath, which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is the same pattern that goes out in all of our lives now. God breaks us from slavery, breaks us from bondage, breaks us from dysfunction, breaks us from living for self. He sets the captives free now, right? So that we can remember and realize the greatness of who he is. Verse nine, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for how many generations? That's a long time. I don't even know that we've lived a thousand generations since that time. That's a lot of generations. And the point I'm trying to tell you is that God has long-term vision and trajectory. So he keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Remember, loving him is always first. What does God want from you more than anything? Your love. He wants your heart. He wants us to be intimate and affection with him that's faith, and faith always leads to obedience. Faith always leads to, leads to obedience, okay? Then he goes on to say, and he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Let's talk about that for a minute. Now, I almost wanted to cut that out of the scripture. How does God say in the Old Testament, he repays him to his face, those who hate him, but in the New Testament, it says, repay no one evil for evil, and those who hate you and spitefully use you, bless them, don't curse them. How do you reconcile that? Let me tell you how. Because God was protecting the Israel nation from people that wanted to destroy them so that the Messiah could come and ultimately we're here to this day. The word hate in the Hebrew mindset doesn't mean I just don't like you. It means that I don't like you so much that I want to destroy you. Hate is spiteful vengeance and revenge that wants to keep you from becoming what God wants you to become. It's more than just dislike. Now, how does God repay? Again, you don't break God's laws, they break you. And so everything was created by his breath. All things are sustained by his word. So when we make a choice to do something contrary to what he has for us, in turn, it breaks us and we're repaid, right? So it's like I said earlier, God didn't necessarily do it, but his, his laws that are in place does it. Sin will kill you. Sin will kill you. A great example is if I get in the car, I drive 100 miles an hour, 
and I try to fly off the JFK bridge, we're gonna have some problems. If I jump off of the ship channel bridge, we're gonna have some problems because gravity will break me. The point is, is that God has set things in place that ultimately sin pays the price and it leads to death, okay? That's what I want you to know. And so God doesn't want us to obviously hate him. He wants us to accept him. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, the judgments which I command you today, okay? I wanna leave you with this last scripture. It's Psalm 127. I really love this scripture because this scripture really puts things into perspective for our lives as Christians. It says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Verse four. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Verse five. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let me share a couple things with you about this scripture. The first thing God's looking for is a warrior. Children become arrows in the hand of a warrior, not a sissy, not a half-hearted, half-believing, weak Christian. And I'm not talking about like brokenness. And I'm talking about somebody that's not confident. God wants an army, not an audience. And so in turn, we are to become warriors. And when we become warriors, our children become arrows. Think about an arrow. An arrow in those days, they didn't have bullets and guns. So an arrow would shoot long distance and they're weapons of war. So we're actually raising children. This scripture makes it clear that our children are weapons of war. And then he goes on to say that our children will not be ashamed at the city gate, but will speak with their enemies. What that means is that they'll ultimately become peacekeepers. And at the end, they'll drive back the enemy's camp. We're out to destroy Satan. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so our children now become sharpened, long-term generational arrows that we're raising up because we are warriors first. We live as warriors first, not to destroy people, but destroy the darkness that's around us. And then our children become polished, beautiful, long-term, perfect aiming arrows that can be shot a long distance. But we gotta get in the fight. And the challenge is too many men aren't in the fight. We've got to get in the fight and understand there's a war and there's a battle around us and I have to teach my children and your children how to fight properly, not in a dysfunctional way. We have got to get in the fight. Let's do it. You have been listening to a message from David Bendett, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening. Until next time, and stay fired up.